Climbing to the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Hey everybody, welcome back for a, another webinar of Cockpit Council. My name is Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares, and with me today, I've got Danielle Shear and Andy Dale. Uh, we got a lot that we want to get into, so let's just let's just roll right into it. Uh, Danielle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, hey, so I am the Chief Legal Officer at Convault, data protection uh, public company, and uh, my third GC gig. And I have um, learned a lot about how to build my brand in each one, and I'm excited to talk about it today with you guys. Oh, and we all have our in-flight cocktails. <laughs> Mine is scotch on the rocks. Let me just let me get mine open here, Tim, before I before I comment here. Okay. All right. It's, it's only Cheers, fair. Man. Cheers. It's one, it's one p.m. Cheers. Uh, okay. Uh, Andy Dale, uh, GC at Alice. Um, like Danielle, it's my third GC gig. Uh, I was in house for five years at TD Ameritrade before that, and uh, you know, I'm ready ready to get into it. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to be talking about building your brand as a GC today, and uh, you know, I think where that starts is what do you want to be known for? And Andy, maybe you kick us off. That's evolved for me over the years. Um, Danielle's the one that, in a past conversation, framed that so well, what do you want to be known for? Um, I think I used to think about what's the first thing I want to do or who do I want to engage with first when I join. But I think that certainly evolved over the years as I have too. And, and I know you both feel that way too. Um, I think at this point in my career, I want to be known for, you know, being somebody that, that um, our leaders want in the room when we're discussing the hardest possible things. Um, and somebody that uh, they feel has built a team that can handle anything. Those are probably the two big ticket things. There's others, but um, I think those go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with Andy. Yep, I'm right there with Andy. It's evolved over time, and so it won't be the same for everybody. But um, at this point, I want to I want I want a seat at the table, but I want them to ask me. Right, I want them to think that, wow, if Danielle's here, then we can accelerate our strategy. And just to give an example, Tim and Andy know that I am in Miami right now at a strategic offsite. It's a very small strategic offsite. Not even our entire executive team was invited. And they asked me to come. And I'm not here to make sure the contract is done. I'm here because they are asking really tough questions and they want me to figure out how to how to help them get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's interesting when when you think about early in your career, you just you are looking for FaceTime and you're looking for, you know, the ability to absorb from a lot of the other executives and and others around you. And it kind of evolves into this like, OK, I feel like I've absorbed at least a little bit. Now I kind of want a little bit more. And that little bit more is you want your view and opinion to be valued. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, like if you can if you can navigate your organization or a handful of different organizations in the right way that's where that's where you get to that point danielle where you are right now sitting in you know in in the exclusive group of exclusive executives which is mm -hmm. uh which is incredible 
It's incredible. Um, how do you how do you get there? Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, you cannot be doing all of the work and also be the one who can see the forest through the trees. So I think you need to understand how to, you need to cover the body of work in the legal and compliance program. Then you need to build your team and not just build them so that you are still the central linchpin between legal and everybody in the organization, but you need to help them build, your team build relationships in the organization. A rising tide lifts all boats. It just helps the legal team's reputation. You're seen as somebody who can get it done. And um, you slowly start to, I think, kind of change the narrative. And your business folks, you know, call Andy and they say, listen, I'm thinking about something and I just want to use you as a sounding board. But if you're negotiating contracts, if you're changing policies, if you're in the weeds on making the machine work, they won't also think about you that way. So it's about broadening your scope, lifting your team up, you know, delegating and having getting access to those conversations because they know that there's a team to support you. Absolutely. Andy, how about you? Uh, I think a lot of that is true. I think also um, some of that comes uh, a bit over time in developing key key relationships, that key relationship with uh, your manager, if it's the CEO of, of the company, um, but really other key partners in the business. And that can be um, that can be on the management team for sure. That can be the, the CTO or the, the CFO or somebody like that that often, you know, kind of work with the legal team. But I think it also it also has to be with a couple layers down, people that are, are doing some different things in the business. Um, so spending time and having those personal relationships kind of across the business is really, really important. And then the other thing that I try to do is when somebody does involve me in a question, particularly when that that question um, is, is being asked sort of in a larger group of people, I try to make sure that my answer is not, to Danielle's point, not as tactical. Is more like, I'll answer the question, but then I'll say, you know, but like, that's the answer to this technical question. But when we grow and scale, it's going to be this, or it's going to change, or um, whatever we're developing. Like when we're, I'm making this up, but when we're live in Europe, that's going to change. And so I think you need to be consistently showing people that your lens is strategic on everything that you're answering even if you get asked a tactical question because they're unavoidable like they just come up and they happen and sometimes with a group you know you're answering the question together so you're going to weigh in on that answer you know like you can't avoid every sort of tactical thing but i think as long as it's with, with, within a very strategic lens you're 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 still doing what you need to be need to be doing to kind of show what what you're about yeah i want to piggyback on something andy said um we, you know you have to be building the relationships. The first, I learned this at my first GC gig, but the first relationship I build and make them my best friends and think that I'm, you know, me and my team and my program are the most amazing things that ever walked to the earth is the head of sales. I want the sales team to believe that I'm a revenue generating legal team. And that changes everything inside the company. It changes my reputation, the legal team's reputation, because they're the squeakiest wheel. And if I can get the head of sales and the sales team 
to sing our praises, everything gets a lot easier. So I start there. I don't start with the CEO. That's pretty much the last person I, I build a relationship with because everybody else will convince my boss how great I am if I built those relationships um, with them first. And I start with sales. It's the it's for me, it's the best one. That's yeah, that's that's exactly exactly the perspective I take too is how does the company make money? The very first thing that I do when I, you know, when I've when I've gone into an organization is how does a company make money? Really understand that understand some of the challenges around it and then go and be a support system for those who are who are actually driving it um and and try to learn as much as you can from those people and if you could do that you really do have a pretty heavy hand in in driving that revenue forward um oftentimes in ways that even some of those leaders aren't even thinking about right um one thing andy that that you mentioned was uh reminded me a bit of my favorite interview question. So when you talk about looking at something from a strategic perspective and trying to keep your answer strategic, a lot of times the business will come to you with, um, they'll come to you with a question, like a very pointed question. Hey, I need X, right? And you start to think, you say, well, what, like, what are you really going for? Like, you're just asking me to provide you some solution. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And a lot of being an effective GC, I think, is 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 coming into any conversation with that. Where, yeah, sometimes the business has a has an issue. They've seen it through, and it, or it's a very simple issue, or whatever it may be, come through, and they know exactly what the legal issue is around it. They know exactly how to solve it, and then you go forward. But more often than not, it's just not the case. I think people have an idea of what the um, what the legal issue is, but maybe not a full a full idea of maybe better ways to solve the problem. So there's this inquisitive nature that you have to carry with you. And when I interview candidates for the team, one of my favorite exercises is I try to get them to guess my my dream job, all right? And so what I do is I give them two minutes where they can ask me questions where I'll answer with yes, no, maybe, uh, similar to like, uh, you know, similar to like maybe a cross-examination or something like that. Um, and then I'll give them five open-ended questions. And so between the two minutes and the five open-ended questions, which usually lasts about two to three minutes, depending on the candidate, uh, you learn a lot about how that candidate approaches problems because you're going to have people coming in and say, I want, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z like, well, wait, okay. Yeah. You could go do that thing. And then you send them away and then that thing spider webs into something completely different and like, well, I had legal sign off. We talked about it. Right. So you really got to get an understanding of, of sort of what, what people are looking for. So trying to, trying to maintain that inquisitive nature and maintain that sort of level of response um, at the, uh, from, from a strategic perspective, I think is really critical. If you can't do that, I think you, you really struggle to take, to take you and your department to the next level. It's important that, your brand. Yeah. And and you're offering sort of a framework or an organization to how to think about something. And I do that constantly without anybody asking, but I think a lot of people find that valuable. They're working so fast to um, solve problems or to take advantage of opportunities. So just, just by stepping back and saying, well, what are we trying to accomplish? And almost making them talk it through from start to finish. And 
I can't think of a situation where that hasn't been valuable and somebody hasn't thanked me at the end of that inquiry. It doesn't have to take a long period of time, but it's a matter of looking at things a little bit more holistically. And I think we're in a very good position to help people think like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you start looking at the relationship, so you've established the relationship with the revenue generation leaders, what do you do next? Relationship's important. Uh, I think you sort of, at least I do, I sort of lay down an ethos for for the legal team with respect to sales. Um, The CEO of the first company where I was in-house on my own, that was the first day like big revenue and he kept saying that to me over and over again. So I, we can't underscore that point enough that you have to be close to the revenue. I think for, in developing an ethos with sales, it needs to be to get their trust. It, you know, it needs to be built up over time, but they're going to care about velocity. You're going to care about, is it done right? And so finding that right balance of uh, putting uh, fail safes in place. Danielle sometimes calls them machines, but like whatever your process is, you know, it's it's got to be clear. It's got to be relatively simple and not too many steps and not too much technology, but you need to be QAing, you know, what's coming through in some way or your team does. So that's the balance I think I'm always trying to strike. I do not want legal to be a gate to sales. I don't want to be sitting there mandating that they get an NDA in every single circumstance under the sun. Like, you know, Tim, you talk about risk a lot. Like you have to balance risk reward. My sales team is talking about our platform without an NDA. Like there's some risk there, but like the the deal the deal needs to get done at some point. And so I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lay down laws or, or mandates, you know, inside the business um, necessarily to that, that impact velocity. So that's sort of the ethos. I'm not going to get in the way. And then when you actually need to cash your chips in, something really bad is happening or something, you know, you really have to step in and say, like, this isn't going to work. Then you put some deposits in that team's ATM account uh, into their emotional bank account and you can make a withdrawal. Yep. I, I totally agree. And Andy's right. I call a machine. So you build the relationship. I think that takes it takes sitting on your hands and listening to people about who they are and what they're trying to accomplish and what's important to them. And you try to meet as many people as possible and take a ton of notes. And I think there's a lot of pattern matching that can get done there. And then you have to make good on that. You have to validate that you are going to deliver. And so I actually make a list of tactics, things that I can um, get early wins on. So um, just take NDAs, for example, Andy mentioned it. You know, those are that's something that can really bog down a legal team, um, the negotiation of NDAs. And to, it, it, everybody has a different philosophy on this, but I view them as a handshake, like it's the beginning of a business relationship. And so I create an NDA template I pre-sign it and I tell the sales team, hand it out like candy and email it to this, you know, after it gets signed. And all of a sudden their handshake is that much faster. Sure. People sometimes want to push their own paper, but you know, more often than not, if you make it simple enough and easy enough to read and, and the process, it's, it creates that first step of customer delight, which then makes them happy. And then I see what else can I solve for them? Can I start creating form agreements? Um, can I change maybe some of the 
playbooks that we negotiate on indemnification or limitation of liability that we give away anyway, and everybody's sick of having the same arguments. Um, you know, can I put them, you know, I mean, not to make a shameless plug for LinkSquares, I'm a customer, but um, can I, can I, can I, let my salespeople live in Salesforce, which is what they want to do, and only talk to the legal team in Salesforce when they want to raise a contract, man, that makes me look like a hero because they don't have to leave Salesforce, right? And I can, you know, I can use LinkSquares to do that. So I, I make a list of the things that I can do in the next 90 days to validate that when I tell them who I am and what I'm going to do for them, I start delivering it. And to, to Andy's analogy, that just starts making deposits into my trust bank account with these folks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, and feel free to shamelessly plug LinkSquares. I mean, it's obviously a LinkSquares event right now. <laughs> um, but when I, when I think about like really what your, what your success depends on as a GC is, is a couple of different things. Number one, you have to be competent as as an attorney right you got to know the rules before you can break them so to speak um mm -hmm. so, so you need that number two what you have to understand what the business wants right and more often than not i've found that the business wants transparency how often do you hear people talk about the legal function they're like well i sent an email i haven't heard anything it's been two weeks no clue right uh and then as a legal leader, you want to make sure that you're able to hold your team accountable and quantify the work that you do. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, that Vishal has been, Vishal's our CEO for those who don't know Vishal, but Vishal has been really, um, really strong on is, you know, Tim, listen, I don't care what your title is. And I don't care what you did before. If you don't come to me with data that quantifies what you and the legal function at LinkSquares are doing, you don't have a seat at the executive table. You don't speak our language, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you think about if you think about those things and you're able to you know, pick whatever you want to be known for, but if you're not providing transparency to the business and showing them that, hey, I have whatever it is that you're, you're asking me to do uh, and I'm working on it, uh, if you don't have the ability to manage the team that's working on that, that particular project in a, in a meaningful way, and if you don't have the ability to quantify what your organization is doing, I think you're really going to struggle to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how, you know, how when you're able to do those things, it sort of provides you this freedom and it, it takes us into what I what I know we all wanted to talk a little bit about was uh, perspectives on risk and risk taking. Like once you sort of understand that you have this machine built, it allows you uh, and the business understands that you have this machine built. The business understands that they can then start to, you know, do things that are going to add additional stress to the legal function and they can do so without fear of breaking the legal function or otherwise breaking the business. And so, um, you know, Andy, I'd love to get your perspective on on risk. I mean, you you talk a ton about privacy. You've got a huge privacy background. That's all the rage today. And there's absolutely risk associated with. Uh, I mean, there's there's regulatory uncertainty uh, in in many respects right now. Um, you know, you've got to be making risk based decisions all the time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's things to mitigate and hedge the risk, and there's also sort of back to machines. Again, um, 
with privacy risk in general, it's a good one for us because we're a B2B gifting company and we now send gifts into over 20 countries with, with you know, designs to send to every country except for sanctioned countries. So like, that's a pretty big privacy scope to try to figure out because we have to process personal information of all of those residents and send them physical gifts, sometimes to their home address. So like, you know, we don't pick simple privacy problems, I guess, but um, you know, they're fun to try to solve. And I think you do have to take a, an amount of risk and there are ways in which we figured out to kind of cover off and hedge those bets. Um, you know, for example, uh, as we are doing some of the key work around privacy compliance, like um, some of the GDPR kind of automation work in our in our systems, well, again, this sort of goes to strategic thinking. As I'm doing that project, I'm also thinking about how we scale across all these countries, like, and all the laws are different. So every country has a different regime, a different law. Uh, or different norms. So trying to cover off on all those is impossible. So what do you do? You try to develop something that kind of um, fits the mold and gives you risk protection. So for instance, if we're sending gifts to every country in the world, we need to build granular, uh, the granular ability to turn off a country, for example, um, or the granular ability to delete data from one or more countries by country. That gives you a whole lot more runway to do things. That's the kind of thinking I think we're trying to employ. And you know, also there's there's sort of common stuff like get yourself a good outside counsel that sees a lot of different companies of varying sizes and has like the scope and scale and necessary uh, experience to kind of give you advice. And I recommend having more than one in, in a particular practice area even. Like I don't have one privacy counsel. I know that's like sort of, some people may think that's weird, but like, I don't. I mean, I have one that does a bunch of things and another that does other things for us because they're good at different things. And I, they're there to help me mitigate risk. So then I can go take the risk. I think really it's about like showing your thinking, you know, mm -hmm. truly. If you don't, the, the one mistake is to not think about anything. And when you're, when you're thinking about talking to a regulator, you have to have an answer. You, you know, the answer can be one they disagree with and then you can go fix something or change it, but it just can't be hey, we never thought about that. Yep, absolutely. Danielle, what are your thoughts on risk? So um, I think that the law and regulations and rules, I think it needs to be innovated like anything else. And so, you know, Tim, you said you got to know the rules to break them. I couldn't agree with you more. And I... Um, I view that the processing that goes on in the background of everything I'm doing is helping the company navigate through risk. I try not to talk about risk to my business partners. Um, I try not to like literally talk about it. It's just sort of the processing that goes on behind the scenes. And then I, I spit out, you know, advice. Um, but um, I oftentimes... I oftentimes I get I get very interesting responses because I oftentimes you know end up asking the question out loud. Okay, if we do this, what's the foul? Okay, maybe maybe it breaks the rules, but what's the foul here? And depending on how bad it is, um, okay, maybe we won't do it, but but man, eight times out of ten we do it anyway. Yeah. Because the impact just isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Exactly. And 
and oftentimes the you know the ultimate impact takes takes several other steps before you ever actually realize it. Um, I mean, even in a regulatory environment, um, you know, the, yes, there are foot faults that can be pretty damaging to your business, but by and large, like if you're able to manage the relationships with the regular re regulators, you're able to, you're able to really navigate through a lot and prevent a worst case scenario from happening. And, and that's what Andy's talking about in having yeah. the right outside counsel. Like their job is to say, well, here's all the risk associated with this. And I think our job and a lot of GCs can practice this, you know, as, as, as they're coming up in their careers, practice just taking that information in and instead of turning around and saying, well, here's all the risk associated with this and here are your options, man, that's, that's a junior GC job that you're on your journey. But when you get more senior, you know, it's, Okay, I I understand what the risks are. I've I've have the right people to around me who've, who've explained that to me, or I've, I've I've educated myself. This is all happening in your inside voice, and um, you know what's the foul here? What's the foul if we just move forward? And if you ask yourself that question before you have the conversation with the business, you know, you end up at some pretty good business advice, I think, and you know. You have done your work. I, I, Andy says, show your work. I, I say it like, show your math. You've done your work, but you do that enough times and the business just starts to trust you. And they and, and back to what we said at the beginning, they start coming to you more and more. I want to get yeah. this done. Do you think we can get this done? You know, And that processing goes on in the background, but they know that you're not going to come back to them with like a memo that says, well, here are all the reasons why this doesn't necessarily work. And here are the certain regulations. It's, or here We could end up, in court, oh my God, just today I got asked a question, you know, there, there's an employee, we want to let the employee go and, and um, you know, can we do this? And and I said, sure, you know, we're all at will employees. Are there any other facts here that I need to understand before, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about it. And they said, but can we get sued? And I, I love saying this. Anybody can sue anybody for anything at any time. Right. <laughs> but that, that is, why is it? Why are you asking that question? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I, I just want to take that off the table. Like, I don't want anybody to look at me and think, Danielle will let us know whether we're going to get sued or not as a result of this. No, 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 no. That's not the lawyer I want to be. That's not the GC I want to be. Um, that's not what I want to be known for. I want you to come to me and ask me how to get this done. And are we more right than wrong? How yeah. do we end up yeah. looking to our employee base? What does this say about our culture? How does this, does this have a precedential effect on what I want to do next? How does this answer scale for us? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting. You touched on two separate things there. I think number one, number one, obviously the maturity of the lawyer, but number two, the maturity of the organization, right? Like, sure, like for a lot of early GCs and even GCs who just have not been involved in a lot of litigation, like getting sued is a worst case scenario. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have a background where the idea of a lawsuit doesn't even make me like, it almost calls You're me like, down. You're like, bring it. <laughs> All right. <Yeah>. You too. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, which, but, but it's good, right? It's good. Cause you, cause you go through it and you realize that at every stage of a lawsuit, there's an opportunity there. And you you have to be able to help navigate those opportunities and take advantage of the ones that make the most sense, right? It's not like it's not like every single time someone files a complaint against you, the the company 
the very foundations of the organization are trembling, right? It, it, it takes a lot to get to that point. And, you know, given a, uh, and I know I said this on our, our tech GC talk last week, you know, in, in aviation, they talk about it all the time. It's usually not the first mistake that kills you. It's the 10th, right? Because you'll make one mistake, maybe not even realize it. You'll make another one trying to correct that. And that will actually make the problem even worse and worse. And it compounds and compounds where every little attempted correction is actually going in the wrong direction. And then you find yourself in a, you know, controlled flight into terrain or VMC into IMC or something like whatever it is results in a really bad situation. Right. And, and I think it's not that dissimilar from, from a legal perspective too. It's like, all right, getting sued, like probably is, is, you know, it may not even have been something that, that you did wrong. It may have been a deliberate choice. Like, yeah, we might get sued for this. That's all right. Let's do it anyway. The business benefit is huge. All right, mm -hmm. cool. We'll handle it. We'll handle it. And then you, you go on through and again, not to be flippant about what, you know, what our responsibilities are with regard to the law. Of course, we have to make sure that we're, we're diligent and responsible and ethical in that regard. But, uh, but oftentimes most of the lawsuits you get have nothing to do with whether you broke the law or whether you acted in an ethical manner or anything like that. Uh, it's usually about money. Out. Yeah. And, you, and that can, and you've seen that play out in two different ways in two big ways. The first is in the company you previously came to or came from, you, I mean, the law didn't change, but the way people read the law changed. You did that. You, you know, you changed the way people interpret the law, um, and 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 that was a risk that you guys took, and it totally played off. It, it paid off. Now look at what's happening to Facebook and some of the big technology groups and GDPR and the European enforcements, right? So I think they probably made a decision like that too, saying, you know what, we're going to take the business risk here because it's maybe just too difficult to reverse engineer our entire business model. Okay, well, they're they're getting dinged for it. I mean, to the tune of what, $90 million today for Facebook? Um, they're getting dinged for it. So, But you, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, $90 million is a ton of money, right? It's yeah. it's a lot of money for, I think if you have any, if you, if you even have the slightest toe on the ground of reality, $90 million is a lot of money. But if you look at it in the life cycle of, of what Facebook was, is, and is becoming, it's short money, right? It's good. It's, it just is, right? And so if you're able to make those decisions in a, in a meaningful, responsible way, and I think you do it. Um, you know, it's uh, obviously Andy would love to would love to hear your take on any of this stuff. Uh, I mean, Facebook, I, I don't know, like I come from smaller organizations, but I, it's the same net effect, really. Um, I've been in lawsuits and, and I agree it's you don't ever set out you know, to have that happen. But in our case, um, you know, there were situations in my in, in my past when like either something approached a lawsuit, you know, you, you sort of were, there's that period before where you, you're not sure if somebody's going to file a lawsuit or not. Um, and then, you know, there was one, frankly, where the damages were high enough or the, the amount of con in controversy was high enough. But we just felt morally, you know, that we couldn't we couldn't not handle it. And that, you know, yeah. and that, that comes with a lot of risk calculation and like in the form of actual dollars. 
So like, what, what are the actual dollars I'm willing to put at risk for uh, a moral situation? And in that past situation, it was about the ecosystem and the industry. It wasn't about our company. So you, again, that's another way you show your brand, right? Like the, you need to be having that conversation. Like I'm not gonna, cause, cause all things being equal, like avoid a lawsuit, <laughs> like don't, don't, yeah. don't yeah. settle a claim and don't deal with it. But like, if you've been wronged and you publicly need that to be known, those are things that you really need to be like in that conversation with the leaders of the business saying like, yeah, there's some there's some risk to it. And I think I would go as far as saying like in stuff like that, I, you really need a point of view. And that point of view has to be whatever you feel it is. But, you know, have a take on that. You know, we there's a lot of talk about kind of the trusted advisor or being, you know, giving advice versus making decisions. Most of these decisions are made as groups, in groups. And so being part of that group and having an opinion, especially on stuff like that, it really, really matters. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think like looking at, um, looking at issues that go to the very heart of your business, like at that point, you, you make, you make the, the analysis, like, did is my business going to be around if I duck and cover here? Right. And a lot of times the answer is, yeah, maybe for another year or two, but like your business is probably not going to be very successful going forward. So you almost have no choice, but to, you know, but, but to actually, you know, back it up and, and go, go and fight the fight as well as you can. And, you know, and, and I don't think anyone should be anyone should be afraid of doing that, right? It, it, to a certain extent, I think from a legal perspective, you you're right. You've got to have that point of view. You you have to know the law, and if the law is not clear, you have to have a perspective that you're going to try to for, fight for to get that clarity. Um, and those as soon moments, as you those moments, Tim, sorry, but like those moments don't come about that often. So I think no. one of the, one of the things in sort of thinking about what you want to be known for in your brand is to recognize when those moments are there and what and what your role is. I mean, like you call it a bet the company moment. You could call it, you know, you're in the middle of, of negotiating the exit of the business or, or liquidity event or big customer issue, like whatever they are, they're fundamental. They don't happen that often. So really taking your time before you're kind of weighing in and actually then weighing in it 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 really cements in my view like who you are and what your brand is and what your uh kind of your meaningfulness to the business and to the leadership of that company yeah absolutely and 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 you're right the bet the company moments um i i'd argue that there are a lot of attorneys that go through their entire in-house career and don't have one i you know i i was fortunate enough to have one and I'm not sure that I'll have another like to be perfectly honest but you don't actually sometimes know that they're bet the company moments in the moment I've, the had, I've, had, I've had quite a few um and and you don't realize I mean you, the one you're talking about we all know about right because it was very public it played out very publicly but um but you know, to Andy's point, you have to not wait for somebody to issue spot a question to ask you. Um, you have had to build the relationships, validate that you will deliver, and then 
you get the opportunity, I think, to have a credible voice when these conversations are being had and um, and to have a point of view. Uh, you know, and actually, it's, it's very interesting, Andy, that you phrased it that way, because all look, all, all leaders have different philosophies on leadership and what their role is. And even, you know, amongst the three of us, we have variations of it. And I'm sure I, I know many of these people, um, there are GCs who think that, you know, who believe fundamentally that they sort of like wait until their approach to weigh in on a subject, right? I'm sort of the scales here. Um, and I'm, I'm going to wait until you ask me what's, you know, what I think about something. I, I don't, that's not how I operate. And I think you have to be true to who you are. I think you have to acknowledge, take some time to think about what your strengths and weaknesses are as a person, as an employee, as a leader, as a manager, and know that what makes you successful and then make sure that you are part of a team that will allow you to be successful, right? Um, so uh, just to give an example, I know that to, for me to be successful, I have to, I have to choose my own internal and external team. I got strengths and weaknesses like anybody else. And I have to have the people who address those strengths and weaknesses around me. That may or may not be what a company's incumbent outside counsel is. Um, and that, you know, it may or may not be people who've been with me on my journey for the past decade. Um, you know, it, but I know that about myself. And I also know that I, it's very important to me to have a point of view in these conversations. So I'm not going to opine on whether you, CEO, Tim, um, the idea that you've come forward and say, well, that poses no legal risk, so I don't really have sort of a horse in this race. Um, I want to be the legal leader that says, that's very interesting. Have you thought about it this way? Or I think that's going to be successful for us. And I'm not couching it in any sort of legal analysis because that's the lens in which I operate. Like that's that's the lens in which I I, I I have to view my seat at the table. But at a certain point, and these are the teams that I really love to be a part of, you sort of check that specialty at the door when you get into some of these conversations and you're just a utility player with the rest of the team. Yes, you've got the legal lens, the CFO has the financial lens, the salesperson has the sales lens, but I don't want to be part of a team that only wants to hear from me statements that are couched in the legal realm, right? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that's something that you that you need at the executive level. Like if there's a CFO who's just like, well, from a financial perspective, blah, 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 you're like right. what what are you doing at this table? Right. Like, really? Like, you're talking to me about the financial statements right now. We're not even talking about what's going Like, And so, like, when a lawyer does that, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And everyone's like, you know, you can hear the record scratch. Like, what? what are you doing? What are you talking about? Yes. Um, and it's, you know. It's we do that to ourselves. And, yeah. and we need to stop. Right. Exactly. So. I know we're running up on time. Um, we we had a handful of questions here. One in particular that I thought would be uh, would be good is because uh, we're all kind of doing it right now. What's your personal philosophy on your role in being an ambassador for the company externally? 
Uh, Andy, why, why don't you uh, why don't you take that one first? Yeah. Um, also, your LinkedIn is completely epic. Yeah. For those who do oh, not who do not have Andy as a connection, you need to do that. It will brighten your day every day. Well, so that I just do that for fun, just like whatever is bothering me mostly. <laughs> but um, you know, that's 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 fun to do. But I think you know, really, when I think about the, I think we're lucky. You know, I you, you all can speak to this as well. But we're really lucky to be at a point to be able to really choose carefully where we work and who we work with and mm -hmm. what kind of company we want to be associated with. I chose Alice, um, you know, because of its philosophy and it's thinking and what it's about and who the people are that I get to work with. And they they wanted somebody that was able to be vocal about uh, Alice as a, a, a center of trust with your data globally. And so that fits me. You know, that's what I want to talk about. We're, we have eclipsed, like far eclipsed our competitors in this area of the business. They can't even scratch the surface of what of the way of the depth that we've been thinking about privacy security regulation anti-bribery like they're just not there and so that's a point of pride for me that that's a point of pride for the business and that's why i joined it so i think it's really important and it's important then you know to have the company really support you and what you do even if it's not exactly related to the business it's just you know i'm i'm um putting myself out there you know, in the privacy community or, or something like that and having the company back you up in that in that respect. Absolutely. Um, I, I, so I do it because when I was at Outside Council, um, I, there were not a lot of GCs at these companies. One company that we helped buy on behalf of like one of our clients had a GC. And I remember being in a room where these Outside Council folks kind of made fun of the GC, lifestyle choice, you know, and it stuck, it has always stuck with me. And, and when I moved in house, it, it continues to, it's, it's almost like a chip on my shoulder, you know, being a GC is not a lifestyle choice. Um, and I think the pendulum swung in the past decade, companies that have 50 employees and are on their series A or series B are hiring a GC. And I don't think that happened 10 years ago. Um, and so I do it because I'm not an expert in much, um, and that's okay, but I want to support the GC, um, community. I think it's a, I think it's an important role for companies. I think companies that have GCs, good legal leaders perform better. I think the culture is better. I think the, I, I just, I think it's, I just. I believe in it. I believe in the role. And I'll, I'll tell you one other thing. For a long time, and, I, and maybe many people still believe this, but for a long time, people thought that the CFO was the successor to the CEO. CEO, Like that's the successor role. I don't believe that at all. I think that any position on the leadership team could potentially be a successor to the CEO. I'm not angling to succeed my CEO, just, you know, asterisks. Um, <laughs> But um, it's a seat but, no one wants. <laughs> no, right. It's a very lonely job. But um, but uh, but I I just I believe I believe that the the role is critical for a company's success, and I'm proud of companies that 
understand that it's time to hire a GC. I'd be more proud of companies that didn't try to shove the GC under the CFO because I don't believe in that reporting structure. Um, I can work sometimes, but you know, I just, I don't like it. Um, and so I, I wanna be out there because I wanna be supporting other GCs and I wanna support this role in a company. And I think it just is a, it's a rising tide lifts all boats. Absolutely. And on my end, you know, I think about it and one of one of the things that, you know, as, as I talk to, you know, different folks who who help with some of uh, some of the external stuff that we're doing at Link Squares, uh, including cockpit council, uh, I, I think a lot about it. And there are a couple of things that that really resonate with me is number one, and it, and it comes down to number one, practicing in-house is just as distinct from any other practice of law as IP is from litigation, right? Like patent, like filing patents versus going and litigating, uh, you know, plaintiff suit or something like that. Like they're so distinct, the responsibilities are so different that like literally somebody is going to say, I don't know, I'm a patent attorney. I have no idea what's going on in that, in that area, right? And so like highlighting that and helping attorneys to understand that just because maybe you we're on partner track at law firm A, B, C, D, or E that you can come in and you know what you're doing. It's like, it's still your first your first day on the job, your first year on the job. You need to understand what it means to operate in this environment. So that's that's a lot of it. And, and it really is helping to, you know, to, like you said, Danielle, help, helping to like elevate the GC, right? And as, as a business person role, as a valued member of that executive team, as a valued voice in the room, yeah, and, and I'll just, I, just to, to put a really fine point on it, I felt like a mercenary as outside counsel. I felt like a hired gun. And in-house, you are part of the team. You are a soldier fighting for a cause. You know what I mean? Exactly. That has to be there. Exactly. So, well, I think that's all we have time for this afternoon. But uh, as always, Andy, Danielle, so great to uh, to chat with you. Thanks for coming on and taking your time. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm certain we'll talk soon. So cheers. Cheers. Talk to you guys. See ya.